0: What's up, people of God? What's up, people of God? Man, I ain't been up here for like a month. You know what I'm saying? I, it's been a minute. I had to, I, I took a little break into December and then, um, Pastor Deuce wanted to hog the pulpit for the first part of the year. And so, um, <laughs> but we, I, I think he, I mean, I told him, I'm, i the way the Lord used him the last couple of weeks, I was like, dang, man, why don't you just finish the book? Um, <laughs> Lord really, really used him as a powerful ways. Um, um, to minister his word, just, just as a bit of, 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 um, a commercial final announcement, keep, um, keep the building situation lifted. Uh, we had a, we had a chip in the ice and, um, I, it was pray though. Y'all got to pray. Um, we got, we got to pray because we got a few more things to, 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 plow through, but we're still believing that God wants us here, wants us to utilize this as a conduit. So, so keep that lifted up in prayer. We've been going through the book of Galatians. We, we started um, um, two weeks ago and just kind of plowing through um, this book. Um, it's, it's probably it's every, every book of the New Testament was basically written because m- almost all of them, especially the epistles, the epistles were written. Um, in response to issues that the church was going through at that particular time. And so because there were issues or sins or really heretical issues, one of the things that was needed was um, for epistles to be written to kind of be um, a, sort of a, um, a sort of a firewall, if you will, um, to help the church to be able uh, to work through theological issues. Many of the theological issues over the centuries that the church um, has been able uh, to engage in or what we've uh, solidified in, whether, whether it's the Trinity, whether it's the hypostatic union, Jesus being 100% God, 100% man, whether it's the inerrancy of Scripture, what the canon is going to be. Every, every single thing, you know what I'm saying, every single thing that we've gotten, that we've kind of made as a staple and an essential Bible doctrine has come out of turmoil, has come out of fire, has come out of heat has come out of the people of God being singed by those who want to attempt um, to, 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 to move away from the apostolic teaching that was passed down by our imperial majesty. And so, and, so, and so we're not in a different situation here in Galatians. And I believe that even in our society today, every every two to three hundred years or so, there comes a group of people, that are socialized outside of the Christian culture that the church creates. And so what happens is, is ever so often people come to maturity and they're not familiar with the Christian ease. And so what happens is the church attempts to communicate Christian ease to a culture they assume understands what they're talking about. And so, like, you throw out salvation. Like, salvation? What that mean? Justification, you're like, what in the world is justification? Um, um, what are you, just, um, righteous. Um, you know, one of the things I keep telling our leaders here even, I told them we did leadership meeting once month, and I tell them, I said, assume no one knows anything. Because a lot of times we give people too much credit for actually knowing what we're talking about and they're nodding their head and they don't understand a word we're saying. And so we, we've come to that point as the church. Um, where, where we have to begin a new, we're on what's called, what Andrew Walsh calls, a, a, a pioneering mission field. We're on a brand spanking new mission field. Although there's a church on every corner, even here in North Philly, there are churches that are meeting in houses. There, there are churches that are meeting where, where corner store used to be or grocery. I mean, they're, they're, they're tucked in crevices and got like ten names, like, First church of yesterday, today, and yesterday, thank you, Jesus. I mean, just long names. You know what I'm saying? it's so culturally, if you think from the perspective of an unbeliever, if you think from the perspective of an unbeliever, an unbeliever looks at... The church, and and, and, and like some churches, they got cages up. You can't get in them. They never open during the week Um, if you uh, focus the church as a facility rather than a people. And so you got to think through the minds of people who are actually unable um, to understand Christian culture. And because of that reality, we have a mission. And that mission is a stewardship, which I'm going to talk about today. Um, That that, that ministry is is an entrusting which I'm going to talk about today, because one of the things we want to make sure over and over and over again that we do is that we get the gospel right. And see, there are many of those. See, see a lot of people think they understand the gospel, but many times they, they don't realize what they've added to the gospel. I remember um, a pastor I was sitting under went to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And when he went over to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, he brought back a Coptic cross. Well, the Coptic church is one of the oldest churches in the world. It predates the Eastern and Western church split. When the Eastern and Western church split, the Western church became the Catholic church. The Eastern church split up into several things like the Greek Orthodox, the Coptic church. But the Coptic church is an extremely old church. And over the years, the Coptic church, you know, we had the normal cross, but then they, t- they made a symbol that the Celts copped, and it was Father, Son, Spirit. It's a little symbol. I had the shirt on last week. And they added that to the cross. Then they added a bunch of them to the cross. Then they added a circle to the cross. Then they added a wreath to the cross. Then they added thorns to the cross. And it got to the point when you looked at the cross, you thought you were just looking at a nice artifact. Because there was so much added to the cross That you couldn't see the very thing that our Lord died on anymore. And we live in a period where people have added a lot of things to the cross. People have added baptism to the cross, people have added speaking in tongues to the cross, people have added healing to the cross. People have added uh, uh, um, all of these different things that they load up. They they add added dressing a certain way uh, to the cross. They added coming to church to the cross. They added knowing the books of the Bible to the cross. They add a chill going to, down your spine during praise and worship to the cross. They they added doing like this to the cross. They, every they, uh, it's a bunch like oh she's a Christian Oh, she in the spirit right now. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that anybody's been actually impacted for the cross. So we over give people credit. Yeah, we, we, we give people credit. Like, like, we're so happy for people to be in Jesus that we'll let them bypass being in Jesus. And so today, I, I, for those of you who know, I know y'all know what you're talking about. You're theologically astute, and you've been chopping it up for a minute. But I want to I wanna, I wanna just humor you for a minute. Just humor you for a minute. I just want to talk about the heritage of the gospel. The heritage of the gospel. As of recent, as of recent, we went to a coalition. And and they had to, they've taken on this desire to say, we want to make sure that in our time period, y'all were waiting for me to fall, wasn't you? Um, In our time period, that we're faithful to the gospel. And so they've developed a preamble statement. It's called the gospel coalition. I apologize for y'all over there. We're going to get it set up. But I'm going to read it. it says, we, we are a fellowship of evangelical churches deeply committed to renewing our faith in, in the gospel of Christ and to reforming our ministry practices to conform fully to the scriptures. We have become deeply concerned about some movements within traditional evangelicalism, evangelicalism is just those who hold to the central message of the gospel and the fundamentals that orbit it. And we're going to talk about that in the upcoming weeks so that you can, when you see these words, because a lot of y'all are new Christians, and we want to make sure y'all understand that, that seem to be diminishing the church's life and leading us away from our historic beliefs and practices. On the other hand, we are troubled by the idolatry of personal consumerism, and the politicalization of faith. On the other hand, we are distressed by the unchallenged acceptance of theological and moral relativism. I'm going to explain that today. These movements have led to the easy abandonment of both biblical truth and the transformed living uh, mandated by our historic faith. We not only hear of these influences, we see their effects. We have committed ourselves to invigorating churches with new hope and compelling joy based on the promises received by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. See, when when we talk about the faith, all of us have to become responsible with this faith. It's not just for the MC on his tracks or her tracks. It's not just for the preacher in the pulpit. It's not for the person that's named Minister Evangelist. And they go all over the place calling themselves an evangelist, but they just bring in messages that have nothing to do with the gospel. But your name, Evangelist. (laughs) And so so today, I want to humor you with just talking about a story. That Paul begins to tell. Paul is latent with weights. He's latent with frustration in Galatians chapter 1. And he, like Pastor Dew said a few weeks ago, he very few times he's always saying, I keep you in my prayers always because I'm always thinking about how great you are. He was so offended by the fact that they had abandoned the gospel that he said, hello, my name is Paul. All right, let's get into this thing. Because cause, cause when you're tinkering with the gospel, you're tinkering with the hinges of historic Christian faith. And so now it's time, y'all, for us to come into agreement. This is a council today. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna convene around Galatians chapter 1, and we are going to affirm the Christian faith. Matter of fact, we're going to do some creeds up in this joint. You know, we're going to start doing some public confessional creeds. Like, we, we got to, because I'm afraid. I was, let me tell you what made me afraid. And I'm not putting anybody out there. But I started reading our covenant community statements of conversion. And I, I began reading them. And it just says something. It says, read Acts 26 and give a record of Paul's conversion. And when you give a record of his conversion, give a record of yours. And then as I began to read them, I heard baptism. I heard I ain't what I used to be. I heard I was raised in a Christian home. But I didn't hear the gospel. And I got very, very afraid that people began to come into Epiphany Fellowship and like that, the pastor has on jeans and a t shirt. Like the music because it's contextual. But haven't zoomed in to what makes this place actually exist. And far be it from us to let you get excited about coolness and miss Jesus. So we're going to rail about him. We're going to sing about him. We're going to proclaim him. We're not going to punk out on the gospel. We're not going to act like some some spiritual suckers that are scared to say what it is. So, so in our text today, we're just going to jump to the first point. We, we, I, I want us to zoom into Paul's, into Paul, into what Paul is saying. Paul says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel, my first point, the gospel is divine in origin. The gospel is divine in origin. It sounds real simple. It sounds real simple, but we got to say that. Divine means... It didn't come from planet earth. Paul says, listen, I grew up under traditions. I, I, I grew up under all the things, but 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 the gospel is not a man-made message. In other words, Paul's saying, like some dudes didn't get up in a room, brush off their tunics and say, yo, fam, let's see how we can just trick people. Let's go through all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And let's just make up a story about a dude that came to earth. And, um, like, let's, you know what? Wouldn't that be cool? No, it be dope. <laughs> um, having God having, like a son. Wouldn't that be dope? <laughs> and, um, man, we could trick him with this one. Man, it, um, act like God took on an additional nature. <laughs> you know, God ain't gonna do that, but let's trick him. And um, let's um, let's 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 act like God took all of His eternity, which is impossible. But we really want to get Him on this one, and bring Him to Earth. Matter of fact, oh, I got it. Remember that prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen? I know it was fulfilled partially, but let's go to let's act like it it got some later fulfillment or something, and let's make like God was born of a virgin. (laughs) And they're just sitting in the room, cracking up, laughing. Let me tell y'all that's, 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 that's too much work. That's too much work. That's too much. Can you imagine sitting down, finding out a way, I, I, that's too much work. And so Paul says, listen, man is not intellectually astute enough to come up with what I talk about.
1: Matter of fact, I had a lot
0: to lose, family. So Paul says, this is not a man-made God. I didn't get this from dudes on the block. I didn't get this from them. I didn't get this from from my former tutors. I didn't get it from there. We have got to understand that it's divine in origin. Paul says, Paul, Paul also says that the gospel does not have man as its primary agent. He says, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, belonging to man. He says, for I did not receive it from man. He's talking about the way truth is normally transmitted. The way we normally get truth is we actually got it from man, which is different than the way Paul got it. But Paul is trying to say, even though it's. Been, it's gonna be passed down to us by man. It's not man-made nor man-centered, nor it did it originate with man. But see you gotta understand what Paul is doing. Paul is doing something that we as Christians can't sleep on. And that is something that every prophet of old has always um, emphasized. That's why Paul goes into the fact that the gospel has Jesus as its primary agent. He says, I did not receive it from man because this is not man's gospel. He says, but I received it from a revelation of Christ. Now, let me tell you this word revelation. Revelation means to unveil something that was originally a mystery or unveiled to man. In other words, God had to sovereignly and providentially intervene to make us know about something about him. Now, revelation is not normal. Let me say that again. Revelation is not normal. I got to stay here. Because there are a lot of people walking around, I got a revelation. Revelation. Oh, hallelujah, I got a revelation from God. And God, oh, my! I feel your God, right now I sense in the spirit. You ain't sensing Jack. You ain't sensing nothing. You just want to make me listen to your foolishness. Revelation is an important word. And don't you just use it like, like you, no, revelation is important. When a Muslim says to you, Muhammad, peace be upon him, he's saying to you that revelation through Muhammad is important. See, when we as Christians, we must say, Paul, grace and peace be upon him. Why? We're not centering on Paul, but we're we're saying Paul was a conduit for revelation. In other words, he's, the, he's a way in which God revealed the gospel to him, and it was originally unveiled but given in unique ministry. Paul, Paul, on the road to Damascus, riding, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, gets knocked off his horse by light, by light. Like Jesus didn't even have to swing on him, like, like, crack. You know, and he fought. man, who hit me? Oh, it's you, Lord. My, oh, I was about to start swinging. You no, know nah, that wasn't it. The, inc- the the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. In some way, shape, or form, his boys were like all we see is light, and he's talking. We don't know what's going on. And Paul is, Paul is shook. The light of Christ was a blinding right hook. And Jesus hit him so hard that he lost his sight. Ain't nobody got knocked out like that before. <laughs> and Paul points back to this as a moment for him with God beginning. And the Bible says that Jesus talked to Ananias <clears throat> and talked to him and said, There's a man named Paul and he's praying. I'm going to focus on this story, but I want to focus on points of it. <clears throat> He says, and he has had a vision. <clears throat> when you go over to Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about the fact that he's had many visions and revelations. This is important for us as Christians. This is important to us that God supernaturally spoke to him. Why? Because if he didn't supernaturally speak to him, he does not speak supernaturally to us through the scriptures. Now, bear with me for a little while with a little foolishness, y'all, because this is for us to reestablish continuously the, 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 the faithfulness of the gospel in our context. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm coming in the same vein as Samuel, who, who was woken up three times by the voice of God. And Eli had to tell him, oh, the Lord's talking to you. Go back. Next time he holler at you, say, here I am, Lord. Holler at your boy. Next one, he, said, he says, Nathan dipped from, dip, dip, and then all of a sudden he says, and the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Isaiah, first thing out of his mouth in Isaiah 1.1, 1, 1, he says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw. Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Ezekiel, in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the day, fifth day of the month, as I, Ezekiel, was among the exiles. Hosea 1-1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Joel 1-1, the word of the Lord came to Joel. Amos, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds. I wasn't even in God, thinking about God. Obadiah, the burden or the vision or the oracle of Obadiah. Jonah, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Micah, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Nahum 1.1, the oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum. Habakkuk, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Zephaniah 1-1, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. Haggai 1-1 in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Zechariah 1-1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, Malachi 1 1, the oracle of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Paul says, This is the word of the Lord through your boy, a brand spanking new apostle, Paul. Yo, man, this is our heritage. This is your heritage. Smell it. Breathe it. Be divinely proud of it. We didn't have one dude write a whole book, and he ain't writing in the community. It's just him. Agree with him. We have several people during different times and epochs with words from God that all synchronized together to bring together all that God was doing. The word of the Lord. This is important. Because I know you want something, you want to know how to pay your bills, you want to know how to get a girlfriend, you want to know how to get a job, but that's not this Sunday. (laughs) This is important because you must meditate on the fact that there is a, 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 a legion of people who have died for us to hear what we hear. And so Paul in this passage is saying, listen, I want you to understand that I come in the same spirit of the prophets of old. But then Paul, Paul goes down and and he begins to go further. He Says, not only is the gospel divine in origin, but the gospel depicts man as driven by fallen purposes. (laughs) Why in the world would he talk about this? Look at look at verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age or my contemporaries among my people. So extremely jealous, zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. (coughs) Paul, several times in Philippians chapter three he talks about the fact that he was a Pharisee a, 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 a Pharisees, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. He talks about in Second Corinthians fifteen eight that um, he was the least of the apostles because of what he did to the church. In Acts chapter twenty six, he goes before Agrippa, uh, King Agrippa, based on Christ's prophetic utterance to him through Ananias, who said, "He must take my name among many kings." You will see Paul over and over and over again. This is not just his testimony. I got to give my testimony you know because i know what he did for me that's not what he's talking about that's not what he's talking about see his testimony is it it has a little it it, his testimony is centered on the fact that christ revealed himself and and, and so paul talks about how lost he was (coughs) he says, i violently persecuted the church when you look up in, in um acts chapter 7 verse 58 um, on to verse eight, chapter 8, verse 3, you'll see it says, and when they stoned Stephen, it says that Paul was of hearty approval of what was going on. So he stamped the, 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 the stoning of Stephen, and then he began to ravage the churches. So he said, I violently uh, persecuted the church. He said, I tried to put an end to the church. He, says, he said, I tried to destroy it. He said, I was advancing. He said, I was, he said, I was religious. Because I was advancing more than ever. I was religious. Then he said, I was passionate about pleasing man. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of men. In other words, I was known as a man pleaser. That was my steez. You know what I, I want to pull out of this and talking about fallen purposes? Nobody's lost anymore. Nobody's lost anymore. Jesus is kind of an upgrade for some people. You know, Jesus is just kind of the guy that, oh, yeah I, I, yeah, I know him. I grew up in the church, man. I, nobody's lost anymore. I've always been a Christian. I mean, I can't even remember when I wasn't. I mean, I was in the choir. You know, I was on the Junior Urshah board. You know what I'm saying? I was... Like, but Paul says that wasn't my testimony. I was torn down from the floor down. I, I was jacked up. In other words, people don't want to admit that they're lost anymore. They just want to say that I'm a little broken. Um, I've had some bad stuff happen to me. I, I, you know, I've gone through some. You know, I've gone through some things in my time. You know, what I'm saying I, I've gone through some. That's why I don't like the sinner's prayer. That's why I don't like it. Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Lord, Lord, I confess. I confess with my mouth, with my mouth, Jesus, Jesus, as Lord, as Lord. I don't like it. Let me tell you why I don't like the sinner's prayer. Because if a sinner knows that they're a sinner, you don't need to pray for them. See, a sinner that knows that they're broken and torn to pieces don't need you to lead them in their prayer. Pray this prayer with me. I'm not. I'm not saying that the sinner's prayer is wrong. I just don't like us creating a way for people to repent as a way. If they don't do that, then they haven't. Like I don't like that. See, 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 see the sinner's prayer. And because what happens is a lot of people get preached the abundant life as an unbeliever. That's the gospel. God wants to change your life. God wants to do this. So yeah, I want that God. I want that gospel. So they'll come up and they'll want that. But before you can be introduced to the abundant life, you got to be introduced to the fact that you were abundantly dead. Yeah, you, you, you got to, you got to know, you got to know, listen, you Paul says, I was totally depraved. Say total depravity. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, somebody need to know. That they were totally, listen, totally separated from every singe of the life of God in every single area of their life. I'm not talking about, you know, you know, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's just common grace. That doesn't mean that you don't have depravity. (laughs) Paul says, I was totally depraved. We actually got to talk about this stuff, y'all. And this is very important. He he talks about in Genesis, in Genesis 6, 5, it says that God looked out on the earth and he was ticked. Because man, all the time, was figuring out new ways to run capers and be wicked. I mean, God was like, my goodness. Like, it wasn't surprising to him. However, in an anthropomorphic sense or making God, it, being God's emotives and intellect in a man's terminology so that we can understand his disdain, the Bible describes that God was frustrated because of that. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. What does it say? The heart is what? Deceitful and wicked. Who can what? Know it. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, I got to say it. No one, no one, no one, no one seeks after God. I'm just, I'm just seeking after him. No, you're not. You don't want him. You don't like him. You, you're not feeling him. He only, oh, the one that you feel is the one you've created in your mind. That's called relativism. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about that. Relativism want to make man not as bad as he really is. Relativism wants grace without truth. See, relativism, the only way they'll feel the truth is if it's gracious enough. See, my God, the God I serve, he ain't like that. The God I serve don't have a hell. The god I, And so you're just leasing yourself with your, you've created this idol in your mind that doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. <clears throat> there is no God in heaven that isn't loving and wrathful. The Bible says in Psalm 5-5 that God hates all who do iniquity. He ain't feeling them. This ain't good. This, ain't, this don't make for amen preaching, but, I, but we're falling, y'all. Falling purposes. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Let's explain what it means to be dead. That means that your spirit is turned off to God. There is no connectivity. There is no prayers getting through. There is no divine blessing. There is no relationship. There is no conversation. There is no interaction. You're lost. (laughs) So total depravity just talks about this, that God cannot, that God cannot or does not perform actions that are good, In either man's or God's sight, that man, this is what we're like, that fallen man has no conscience which judges between good and evil for him. That people indulge in every form of sin or in any sin to the greatest extent possible. The word depravity means that because of sin's corruption, there is nothing man can do to merit the saving favor of God. Nothing you can do to close the gap. You can, gen, you can, go, you can go to the joint and gin your flag, name and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can go up in there and you can dip your hand in the holy water. You can go on Ash Wednesday and get some ashes on your forehead. You can do all you, you can do all you want to do. You can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ is the only Son, our Lord, who was redeemed by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born. I mean, you see what I'm saying? I, I grew up in that. I grew up saying the Apostles' Creed singing the Gloria Patri Glory be to the Father <laughs> and to the Son and I was lost then <laughs> among Yeah, he's going to be a preacher when he gets older. He going to be a preacher. Look how he's singing in the choir. Lost. 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 this, this, this lost. I, lo- I, I was lost. I ain't front. I was lost. Lost in a mug. Lost. This is important. Because <clears throat> we, we have an uneven understanding of God. People need to admit that they're lost. People need to admit that there is no God. I'm harping on this for a reason. Somebody needs to admit that they are lost. All I needed was a little nudging. Just pat me on the back, Lord. Help me to move from point A to point B. Hallelujah. (laughs) No. I'm harping on this for a reason. We laugh about it, but... If you preach a gospel where man is not lost, you're not preaching the gospel. If man is not totally unable to merit the favor of God, they're lost. I'm going to talk about this in the upcoming weeks, but there are two types of people that are the most difficult to convince that they're lost. Two types. Religious and moral. Religious and moral. Martin Luther's fundamental insight was that this latter principle, the principle of religion, is the deep default mode of the human heart. The heart continues to work in that way even after conversion to Christ. Though we recognize and embrace the principle of the gospel, our hearts will always be trying to return to the mode of self salvation which leads to much spiritual deadness, pride and strife, and ministry ineffectiveness. Legalism and moralism is truth without grace. Relativism is grace without truth. This is important because some of you, how you doing? Trying to make it. Again. Again we We, we want to always earn everything because we're American, and we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps <laughs> fallen, jacked up torque from the floor, I gotta move next, the gospel has the power to reform man 's purposes. <clears throat> Paul goes from there, and he says. <clears throat> In verse 15, he says, but when he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul, he says, but when he. I like that. I like that. Oh, see, see, Paul says, this is where I was. But, see, you got to understand when you see a but in the Bible, no pun intended, but you got to understand that "and" means I'm I, I'm bringing this along with what I've already been saying, but "but" means in contrary to what I just said. He says, "But he." Let me see if I can make make it plain. See, when a person understands that they are lost, there is a clarity of conversion. See, there's a point in your life where you have to say, "I was lost, but he." I once was blind, but he. I used to be, but he. I remember when, but he. Man, I can't believe I but he. In other words, but he means there was a divine interruption with you going in the opposite direction of God. You were not looking for him, but God has the sovereignly walk around in front of you, stand there, and you run into him. But he it needs to be a clarity. Now, I understand. Let me let me say this because I know that because Paul Paul wants us to understand. Like he already said to Corinthians, one plant, one water, oh, God has to grow. Some of you all don't have a radical conversion experience where you bum rush the altar, or something, and you you bum rush the altar. Ah, ah, you was crying, and you know it wasn't a rededication. Like it was salvation. Um, you you trusted Jesus or whatever. But but, but, Paul, but, but there's, there's two types of conversions. There are process conversions and there are absolutely bang. It was a clear conversion. Some people, I believe, even nowadays are converted over time. In other words, they're hearing, they're sitting around. Even some of you have come in and said, yo, I was in church all my life and I've been sitting around. I just realized that I've never been a Christian. A bunch of y'all have been saying that lately and trusting Jesus in the last two months. Okay. But then there are those who have a, a, a death to life conversion. And so Paul wants, but but the, but the point is, there should be a time in your life where you could say, I was lost. That's important. There has to be a time in a life where, if you call yourself a believer, that you're clearly found. There has to be, there can't be this you know um you know you you you, uh, you know i got transitioned no you didn't get transitioned god tr- had to transform you you didn't matriculate you met the master you didn't accept him but he accepted you <laughs> that's key you didn't look at him he lured you in other words you were getting on the wrong bus and jesus christ had to hand you a transfer Hit a hand you a transfer and, and transfer you from the bus called the Domain of Darkness. And this transfer, on the transfer it says, Kingdom of His Marvelous Son. And you had to take the transfer and get on a brand spanking new bus. But there has to be a time when you got to transfer, family. Now, I, now, 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 see, because of this, because of this, I don't want people to come around and just feel like that they're just liking it. Like, we don't want to make Christianity that's likable. Like, we want to, like, there's a there's a stream of Christianity right now that just wants to make Christianity likable. So let's make, let's, let's light some incense and uh, get some throw pillows on the ground and get a nice band, turn down the lights and, you know, have people light candles at the beginning of the gathering and, you know, have, have it, you know, make sure the temperature's right. Like, 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 we're not merely trying to make, not that any of those things, like, but the important thing is whether or not the gospel is being faithfully transmitted. And so today, you got to understand, we have to understand that in our time period, we're in a new seed where there has to be a clarity of transition. If there's not a clarity of transition, then, then there needs to be a time of transition. So Paul says, Paul says again, he says, was pleased to, he says, but when he who set me apart before I was born. In other words, unconditional election. In other words, Paul almost sounds like Jeremiah when he says, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. In other words, like I didn't look down the pipe and say, man, Tiff is going to make a dope Christian. Man, Pastor Deuce is going to make a good Christian. And you know what? You know, I, I. think I want to draft them on the team. It's got like being in Christ and being set up, it's not like somebody scouts for a team going out and they're looking for everybody who has the best skills. And you know, people getting endorsement deals, like cats are getting cars and credit cards and houses before they even play a game, you know, just based on the scout's potential. See, see, worldly scouts, they go out and see how much you can be for their benefit based on where you are now. But see, God is a different type of scout. God goes out and he, he says, Who's the worst? Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> my goodness. Some, their soul is passing some serious gas. But if I get to them, when I get to them, people will know that there's a difference in their life. In other words, God likes to scout out people that other people won't even draft on the team. And what God does, is he's so beefy, is, 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 is he, he gives you an endorsement deal with him in the name of Christ, and you didn't accomplish anything. You don't have no potential. You ain't got no potential. That's bad motivational speaking. You don't have any potential. I'm not somebody. I'm not somebody. I'm not somebody. See, we lie to people. Now, now, are people worth anything in God because they're born in the image of God? Yes. However, we're still nothing. And so since we're nothing... God loves taking nothings and making something out of them and giving them things that people didn't know that they can get a hold of. That's called being efficaciously saved. Yeah, that's what it's called. It's, it's called you ain't had nothing to do with it. That God just says, come here. Come here. I'm drafting you on my team. Matter of fact, clack, clack. Put on. Now I'm not going to. This is my jersey. My jersey is is my son's jersey. It's a a red jersey dipped in blood and righteousness. See, people want to run to their testimonies, but they don't want to run to the one that... Was tested, And I'm just telling you right now, today, in any way, shape or form, that Paul is just saying to us today that with all of his beefiness and all of his rudiments of Old Testament lore and his understanding of the midrash and, and his understanding of Tanakh and Navihim, all of his understanding of the Torah, all of his understanding of all of these things, he says, were not enough. <laughs> Let me tell you something. However, God places stuff into you, but the issue is, the question is, is, is he the breather and the motivator in Christ to make those things happen? That's what makes a Christian different than everyone else. And so Paul says, I was set apart. I was divinely elected. That I had nothing to do with it. God chose me on a conveyor belt of those who were going to go in the holding cell called hell and then be, he was going to play basketball, throw me in the lake of fire. All that. But what God did is he drafted and laced us. Ah, got a lot to say, but I got to move. But then he said, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is interesting because a lot of people try to make a lot out of this section than, than it is. But I think there are some principles to gather from this. It's real important. Paul is again affirming <clears throat> that he got revelation because he's not, he's, 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 affirming that, listen, I didn't need Peter and John and James to affirm that I got revelation. Now, some of you don't say, that ain't community. No, listen, listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is trying to emphasize that. His revelation of Christ wasn't based on them getting revelation from Christ. This is important for us. Because, in other words, Christ revealed himself to Paul. And Paul has said, I didn't immediately run up there to affirm it. Because he's going to show you why later he didn't necessarily need them. Because he got an authentic revelation, even though he was brought into the community of the saints. But he said, you know what I did? He says, I was so rocked by this gospel i just dipped i went to arabia some people believe that the area of arabia he went through was mount sinai some people believe that he went to mount sinai and just went to the bottom of mount sinai because that's in arabia but it was a, but, a, but, but 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 it could be a, in many places in arabia where he went but we can only imagine that paul After being schooled in the rudiments of the theology of Judaism, having gone through this, that he had to reinstitute and reorder his life according to Jesus. So he needed time to see everything that he had learned in light of Jesus. So he, 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 now we don't know how much time it was. A lot of people say it was three years. But look what the text says. Doesn't say he went away for three years. Look at what it says says in verse 17, it says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. That's, that's in nine, uh, Acts 9.22. Then it says, then after three years. So he went away to Arabia. He went away to Arabia. Then he went back to Damascus. When you see him in Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he starts going for it. He comes back from Arabia, do we'll not know how long he was there, and he began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Went through so much that they had to cause him to dip out. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. He says, so I was already proclaiming the good news, an authentic, Christ-revealed gospel at this point. And so he says, I didn't go up to even talk to the apostles until after three years— after Jesus had appeared to me, or whatever time plus three years, are you with me? That's important. And so he says, he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him fifteen days. I would have loved to be in that conversation. Paul coming up, you know, big Pete. Paul heard about you, big man. What's up, man? Come chill it. Come, come 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 chill over. Let's let's go sit down and chop it up. Let me see where you at. Now let me see where you at. You know, I I got a revelation too, fam. Um, sitting down, talking, chopping it up. I I would love to have been a fly on the wall with Peter and Paul, chopping it up for the first time about the gospel. That would have been crazy. He said, but I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. He says, like, I wasn't going up there, like, to to get a pound on the gospel. I believe that God had revealed the gospel to me. He says, in what I am saying to you before God, I do not lie. reason why he's saying this because the Judaizers think that he has, because he hadn't been to Jerusalem at that point, that he got his affirmation of the gospel from Jerusalem. No, he got his affirmation of the gospel from the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's trying to say, well, before I became a Christian, I depended on the passing down of traditions. But when I became a Christian, Christ revealed it to me directly, so it wasn't a tradition, it was a revelation. Then he says, then I went into the regions that I just dipped after that. I went to Syria, and then I went to Cilicia. And, we, and me and my boys, we got it in in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about this affirmation and this reality. In other words, we see that so many things, we see that so many things through this time that Paul got, 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 got his life transformed. There was a clarity of conversion, but there was also a clarity of calling. And it's calling was Jesus-centered, not me-centered in my testimony. It's real important. So God's calling always demands something. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the gospel must be meticulously handled with care. I got got ahead of myself. But the gospel must be meticulously handled with care. But then finally, then finally, I'm going here, the gospel must be Uh, must impact, uh, uh, the gospel's impact must be noticeable. The gospel's impact must be noticeable. Look at verse 23. He says, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of him. (laughs) See, when you become a Christian, it has to be noticeable. It can't be this thing where I'm a Christian, like I know I'm not right now. Like the Bible doesn't make room for the carnal Christian. The Bible doesn't make room for I'm trying to get it right. Let's look at a couple of passages. Ephesians 4, one kind of like says, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Second Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12 says that our God may count you worthy of your calling. In other words, when you talk about being counted worthy, what that means or walking worthy means Show off the fact that you weren't saved for nothing. Now, in our society in this time, we got to stop making everybody a Christian. That's what we're talking about. Because we, we have to begin to not begin to legalistically make a list of what makes a person a Christian. We're talking about progressive sanctification by working out your salvation, not for your salvation, and continued growth. This is important. Because in this passage, it says that in light of the conversion, there was a clear time of darkness and there was a clear time of light. We have to begin. There's no more room for I'm trying to get it right. There's no more time for that. Paul said that the people, the believers notice a difference in his life. Does your life like my man? Does your lie showing up Evidence, evidence, don't, don't, dun, dun. evidence. I kind of like that song even though I don't like his theology. That's a good song. But, like, conversion is noticeable. That's what I want to end on. Conversion is noticeable. If no one notices... Anything different, there's something wrong with that conversion. Paul is not just giving his testimony, but he's giving a heritage of the gospel. And so I pray as we go through this series, as we begin to reinstitute ourselves with the nutrition of the gospel, that we would realize these simple things, that the gospel is divine in origin. Before Christ, before the gospel, we, we were fallen in our purposes. When the gospel came into our lives, our purposes were reformed. God reformed our purposes. There was actually a conversion. <clears throat> then we got to be meticulous about this gospel. <clears throat> that means you got to continue to get in the scriptures on the gospel. It's interesting how many times. This week, I want you to number. I want you to read through Galatians. I want you to underline every time the word gospel comes up. More than any book in the New Testament, it mentions the word gospel except in Acts. Gospel, 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 gospel. That's important. So that I pray by God's grace that we would take the initiative to get the gospel right In our time and season, so that those who come after us aren't confused. And we must model conversion so that they don't think. See, churches, many churches have created a culture of you can confess them as Lord, but you can live like the devil. People are confused that rappers are always saying, "I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." After they had people up on the stage, you know, doing, you know, doing and and all, caring all. (laughs) Then it's confusing to get a reward, an award, and you just did a song called "Trapped in the Closet," and you saying, "Jesus," (laughs) that's confusing, that's confusing, that's confusing. So now, let's not be confusing. None of us. Let's not be confusing. Confused. And today, maybe you're here today, and you've been fronting. And you've never admitted that there is a chasm between you and God. A, a big gaping hole. Not just in your heart, everywhere in your life. We're not talking about a God-sized hole in your heart. No, your whole life was marked by the absence of God. And you have tried on your own to convince yourself that you know him because of what you do or don't do. But you've never accepted the way he closes in the gap, and that's through his son. That God is holy and you're not that cool, not smooth, not that gifted to close in the gap. But Jesus Christ through the cross is the bridge you got to walk across. Faith in Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Only. And you've never been ushered from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. You've never admitted that you're jacked up, repented of that. And accepted Christ by faith. Trusted Christ by faith so that Christ can, God can accept you. That's you today. There's a card in your bulletin. We want you to fill it out. We want you to lay it on the back table. We want to get in contact with you. Seriously. Because there are a lot of things we can get wrong, but you can't get this one wrong. So I pray. That you don't get tired of this gospel. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the truth of the gospel, the matter.